about 15 years ago, maybe um, 20, Kelly Monroe, a chaplain at Harvard University, started the Veritas Forums. Uh, she had recently written a book called Finding God at Harvard, and she was anxious to sort of continue the, uh, the conversations at the leading colleges and universities, secular schools, Ivy League schools, other sort of the top colleges and universities uh, in the U.S. and around the world, around uh, Jesus. And she was quick to uh, acknowledge that there's a lot of shallow thinking in the church, a lot of shallow people in the church, but she wanted to make the case that some of the uh, brightest people in all kinds of disciplines were Christ followers, and many of them were professors, and so uh, she started this uh, ministry. And you can Google Veritas Forum and, uh, and watch or read uh, lectures and debates with leading thinkers in all kinds of disciplines on some of the biggest topics in the world. So Veritas Forum is sort of a throwback to the idea that at the university, students and uh, faculty are going to uh, follow truth wherever it leads and also that they're going to be engaged in the biggest questions uh, of all time. So uh, I've had opportunity to chat with Kelly a few times. She is um, not unexpectedly quite thoughtful and um, interesting. Uh, she's also uh, smart enough to realize that she could not start a ministry called the Truth Forum. Uh, that is what Veritas means. Veritas is Latin for uh, truth. And uh, it, it, the fact is, though, it, it not only sounds much cooler, it avoids a lot of the controversies. And so uh, today, discussions about truth are very contentious, uh, not just because there's little agreement, as you have perhaps noticed, not just because there's little agreement on what is true, but because there is uh, ongoing debate over the nature of truth itself and over whether or not there even is such a thing as capital T, truth. You might have your truth, I have my truth, but I could never assert that my truth is the truth. That would be a power play and that would be um, a reason for me to be canceled. Um, so, in light of that, or in spite of that I should say, in John 17, Jesus makes this very clear uh, statement that we are to engage with truth and to be sanctified by truth. So this is the second sermon in this, uh, uh, second of three sermons in John 17. Last week we noted that this is a prayer that Jesus prays. It's uh, the longest prayer that we have, and it's a very rich prayer. Many people have spent lots and lots of time reflecting and meditating on this prayer. And then I said that after he prays for himself and he prays for the 11, Jesus prays for you, he prays for me, those that are going to follow him through the sort of the downstream of the, the disciples in the church. And he prays that um, we would uh, pursue truth, that we would be holy, that we would stay mission focused, and that we would be unified. And uh, in this series, we're going to look uh, at the first and the last of these so um, today we're looking at this idea that we are going to be shaped by truth. So um, we are in John 13, or excuse me, John 17, beginning with verse 13. I am coming to you now, so this is Jesus talking to God the Father, it's a prayer. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that 
they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them, he's talking about his followers, I've given them your word, and a little, perhaps a little play on words, because of course Jesus is the word, but I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. One of the reasons I'm not a fan of the Benedict Option I don't know how we could do it, the idea that Christians should withdraw from society and sort of find a safe place. Um, but one of the reasons I, I don't think that's, a, that's our, our call, uh, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This, is, this would be veritas if we were reading Latin. Uh, the New Testament was not written in Latin, it was written in Greek, uh, Eletheia. Um, so sanctify them by your truth. Uh, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world for uh, them. I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. So here's, sanctification is the process of working out our salvation. When we come to faith in Christ, we are justified, right? So we are declared righteous. We are forgiven. This is a work entirely of Jesus. Uh, it's all by grace. We are, we, are, uh, we are reconciled with God. We get the righteousness of Christ. There's an instantaneous act that takes place as we embrace Jesus. You need Jesus, and Jesus does all the justification, when we die, we are glorified. So there is some process. We don't have a lot of the specifics here, but we know that, that our actual status changes, that we are, now, we are now not just declared righteous, forgiven. We are, actually, we are actually without sin. So we become righteous. And that is also completely an act of, of God and his grace. So between our justification when we come to faith and our sanctification when we die and go to heaven, so between our first birth, or excuse me, between our second birth when we're born again and our death, right? So between these two, we are engaged in the process. Christians are to be engaged in the process of being sanctified. And this is that we are to, this is a partnership with, with the Holy Spirit, by the way. As Augustine said, we can't do this on our own. And, uh, and God is not going to do it on his own. So also completely, in one sense, completely an act of grace. But we are told, right, to, to work out our salvation. We are told to discipline ourselves for godliness. We are told to press on towards the goal for the prize. All these active terms. We are expected to be engaged in the process of being sanctified. And the, 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 the question for the day Right, more than just the day, actually, but the, the, the question that is immediately before us is, well, how, what do I do? Like, what's my role in being sanctified? Now, it's, it's a much bigger question than we're going to look at today, but, um, but what we know is, is that um, there's a number of things that we can do, there's a number of habits and practices that we can embrace that sort of position us 
for the, the Spirit of God to be more likely to be working in our heart. I can't change my heart. I can't say, don't be angry, don't be greedy, don't be lustful. Don't be, I mean, I, I, I can't engineer a clean heart. Now, I can pray and study the Bible and serve and engage in the sacraments and attend church. I mean, there's things that I can do that put me, things you can do that put you in the, pro, in the, in the spot where... Uh, the Spirit of God is working to sanctify us. And today, what we're looking at is this, this idea that a big part of this sanctification process for us is taking place um, as we are pursuing, embracing, being shaped by truth. So that's uh, where we're at today. Now, um, uh, I want to I want to make this as simple as I can because it's actually a fairly we're we're going to go in complicated places for a few minutes but uh, let's not overthink this so what the scripture says what John seventeen seventeen says is sanctify them by the truth your word is truth so um, how are we sanctified well at one level <laughs> we. We read the book, we are shaped by the book, we meditate on the book, we, we study to present ourselves as workmen who have no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We understand that this book is God's word, it is inspired, and, and consequently it is, it is uh, profitable for, for correction, for training, uh, for, um, for rebuking. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped uh, for every good work. We understand that this, this is God's divine breath. And, and so how are we sanctified? Well, we, we, we read the book. We conform ourselves to the book. So on the one hand, this is very simple. And, I, and, and I'm coming back <laughs> to this big point here. But... Um, I think it would be helpful for you to understand the moment in which we are living and the options that you have and uh, some, of the, some of the chaos that is going on uh, in our culture at this moment. So if you were paying attention, you were not surprised when uh, a few years ago the Oxford English Dictionary uh, listed as their word of the year. Their, their word of the year 2016 was post-truth. Now, if you were thinking, then you wanted to ask, well, is that true? <laughs> like, so you're telling me that we're past truth? So is your statement that we're past truth true? Or am I to understand the statement is negating your claim, right? I mean, it's, it, it yeah, we're, we, we sort of get into this kind of, of uh, stuff and this kind of confusion when we look at this. Now, I don't want to demean the, the folks, the editors, uh, or whoever's working at the Oxford English Dictionary. Their specific claim was, and I'll read this, that we live at a time when, quote, objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. That is certainly a true claim, and that is important. And so I want to spend some time helping you understand 
uh, what is going on out there. Uh, I'm, I'm tempted um, to say, ushers, now's the time when you need to close and lock the door so no one can get away. <laughs> I'm joking. Not really. Um, I want to try and explain what's going on out there. And what's going on out there is confusing. And um, so I, I want to come back and say, uh, my goal in confusing you, or my goal in explaining how confusing it is out there, is to say, we have a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. We have God's care for us, God's instructions for us. Um, we don't have to wonder what the good life looks like. We don't have to be confused about what we're being called to. Um, but that's where I'm ending. So let, me make, let me make five points to try and help you understand this moment. Point number one. When I'm talking about truth, I am talking about that which corresponds with reality. Okay? I am talking about the way things really are and the way things actually work. Now, if you had philosophy in college, you might recognize that I am sort of deferring to what's called the correspondence theory of truth as opposed to the coherence theory of truth or the pragmatic theory of truth. Um, I, I, don't, I don't want to prepare you for some philosophy midterm, so I'm not going to go there. Uh, if you're interested in all that, if you're confused by all that and you care, go to the website Go to the sermon. The manuscript is there. I've got footnotes in there. I go into more detail about these theories and other things. My goal is not, again, uh, my goal is not to sort of wax philosophical today. My goal is to drive you back to Scripture. So let me say that there's all kinds of debates about not just what is true, but about what true is, like the nature of truth or how we define truth. And these are not new conversations. I mean, hey, we see this in John 18. So the passage we're in is John 17. And in John 17, excuse me, in John 18, Jesus is going to mix it up with Pilate. He's, he's been arrested. He's been turned over to Pilate. And Pilate is going to be questioning him for a while. And uh, Pilate is going to ask Jesus if he's the king of the Jews. And Jesus is going to say... Uh, did you figure that out for yourself, or did somebody tell you that? And then they're going to go back and forth. Pilate's going to say, I don't, I'm not a Jew. I don't pay attention to you Jews, all the things that you're doing. And then Jesus will come back and say, I, I am here to testify to the truth. And Pilate will respond to that, and, and basically in sort of scoff. Like, truth? Truth? What is truth? Now, unfortunately, John does not record what Jesus said at that point. Um, I, I would have loved to have heard Jesus' definition of truth. It might be that what Jesus said is, I am truth. I mean, he says that in John 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. So maybe that's all we got from Jesus. But um, the, the fact is, these conversations about what is true, the nature of truth, uh, the definition of truth, they've been going on for a long time. Number two. One of the reasons that we disagree with each other is because we do not trust each other's sources. So, perhaps you've noticed. There's not a lot of um, civil conversation going on at the moment. There's a whole lot of, uh, there's a whole lot of reasons for this from 
the way our identity is being formed, the whole issue of, uh, of tribes, the confirmation bias. There's all kinds of reasons that, that we are not uh, having civil conversations, but one of them is because we don't trust the sources that other people are relying on. So you hear this, right? You got people that are the, the, the New York Times, you got people that are Wall Street Journal, you got people that are CNN, you got people that are Fox, you got people that are, that are citing the CDC, you got people that are citing the Cleveland Clinic, right? I mean, you got all these different, all these different people citing all of these different sources, and everybody's sort of yelling about, you know, it's lies or fake news or conspiracy theories, and so you've got, you've got people not trusting the sources that other people are citing. Which leads to point three. It's actually not just that people don't trust each other's sources. And it's not just that, you know, there's confirmation bias and there's not just that there's, you know, lies and fake news. It's not just all that stuff. It's that we actually don't recognize or want to affirm the categories even of these sources. So I have mentioned this before that uh, one of the big questions, one of the big, big questions that everybody has to decide, not everybody realizes this, but, but uh, you know, who am I, where did I come from, what really matters, right, what's expected of me, what happens when I die? One of the questions, one of those questions is, where do I go for answers? Like, how do I know what I know? How do I, how do I uh, get answers to these most important questions. And when we've had this conversation, I've said, look, high level, there are four sources of authority. One is reason. Right? I'm, I'm going to think my way through. I'm going to use logic. This is what's behind science. This is behind math. This is behind logic. Uh, and so um, you, have, uh, you have reason. A second category that people will, will defer to is Tradition. In other words, this is information or wisdom that was handed down, sort of time-tested. It comes to me from my parents or grandparents or it comes out of culture. Um, not necessarily limited to that, but, but there's traditional sources of authority. A third thing out there is experiential or more personal sources of authority. These are the things that I've learned through life, through the school of hard knocks, or this is, this is what I sense, this is what I intuit, this is, this is my, what my feelings are. I'm being shaped more by myself in terms of my understanding of, of, uh, of what is true. And the fourth category, uh, the fourth source of authority is revelation. It's the idea that God has revealed certain things to us. And we look in Scripture, we look in Romans 1, and we look, we, we, Psalm 19, there's, there's all these different ways that God reveals himself to us. So Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1, there's, Paul talks about there's things that we cannot not know because he's written them on our hearts. There's, there's this category we refer to as general revelation. It's information that's available to everybody, everywhere. But there's also then a category of super nature, beyond nature, supernatural revelation. And so we would say that Jesus is the highest supernatural revelation of God, but that we also have this book 
So God has revealed himself in the Bible. And so we have these um, four sources of authority. When I've talked about this, I've always also said that it's not that you just go with one. I mean, as, as Christians, we would recognize all four of those as having value. The issue is which is the most important. Uh, and, and as we're talking about, uh, as we're talking about the, the most important questions, Christians say, well, it's, it's what God has revealed to be true. That leads to point number four. And this is a big one. Uh, Another reason there is so much confusion going on out there right now uh, is not just because there are different definitions of truth and not just because there are different sources that people are citing specifically, different newspapers or news sources or books. It's not just that there are even different categories of truth. It is that at this moment we are seeing new understandings of truth, and the ground is shifting beneath our feet. And the way to um, illustrate this, I think the way to highlight this for you, is to give you a brief history of truth. So, look, it it turns out that uh, discussions about truth go way, way, way back. Like a thousand years before Uh, before uh, the Old Testament was, or before Jesus, uh, we we have the Greeks, and we have Greek philosophers. And so, you know, this is, you know, yes, it's uh, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and, you know, 20 to 5 to 30 other people that were trying to figure things out, and they were using reason. So this is one of the the things that, that sort of launches Western civilization was this idea we're going to base things on reason and the law of non-contradiction and all of that. And so the, the philosophers come in and they're trying, to, they're trying to figure out what really matters and what's most important, what is the nature of truth and all of that. And, and it's not always understood, but it, it turned out to be sort of a, a, a dead end, a, a failed project. Uh, philosophy in and of itself, reason alone could not answer the questions that they were after. So they didn't, they didn't agree with each other. They, they, they might respect each other, they might be interested in what other people were saying, but they had, in many cases, very different understandings of, of what was really ultimately important and how things worked. As a matter of fact, um, the, the Greek philosophers had sort of burned out before Jesus comes along, they can't figure out, looking at people, because you, you look at things, you look at the design of things to figure out what they're for. They could not figure out by looking at humanity what we were designed for. Like, you can tell you know, a hammer is designed to hammer a nail. Uh, an iPhone is not designed to hammer a nail. You can look at the design of things and sort of figure out what they're for. Um, but you could not do that with people. You couldn't figure out the logic behind people. And so when John is writing his gospel, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew writes to the Jews. Uh, Luke is writing more to Gentiles. Mark, perhaps the Romans. John is writing to the philosophers. And so he opens to this burned out effort to figure everything out. He opens. They can't figure out the logic. And he says, 
In the beginning was the logos, same etymological root, right? The, the kingpin, the thing that, that defines everything, that explains everything, that answers all the questions. In the beginning was the word, Jesus. He was in the beginning before all things. And so philosophy was the initial pursuit of truth using reason. It didn't work. So next on the scene you have, you have the Hebrews. You have the Hebrew prophets. And, and Western Civ is going to sort of get its basis out of the Greeks, sort of the Greeks and the Romans, the Jews, Jews and the Christians. So the Jews are going to come forward with a book, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, our Old Testament. And this is going to promote revelation. It doesn't disparage reason, but it says God has spoken. So hundreds and hundreds of times you have the prophets saying and God said, thus saith the Lord, right? And, and the idea is not that, that God's opinion or that God's word is one opinion among many and you're free to choose it or not. The, 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 the statement here, the, the, the force of the revelation is this is ultimately true, right? So you have the Old Testament coming along and uh, and offering what the Jews were contributing to our understanding of truth. Next up in our quick survey will be Jesus. And Jesus, again, he's, you know, he's, he's introduced by John as the Logos, as sense of truth. Jesus is going to say that uh, he has not uh, come to to get rid of, this is in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't say, look, I'm not coming to, to get rid of the law. He's talking about the, the Old Testament. I'm not coming to get rid of the law. I've come to fulfill it. This is Matthew 5, 17. Every jot and tittle, every period and comma, right? I am, this book is true, and I am here to confirm that this book is true. And then he's going to go on, and he's going to say, and by the way, I am true. I am the way and the truth and the life, and so we're going to see that Jesus is, um, is affirming the idea of truth. He's, in, he's incarnating truth as well, and uh, while not dismissing reason, he's going beyond that. So then, as we move on, we get into the book of Acts. So you, the four Gospels are followed by the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. The next 30 years after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, we have the unfolding of the church, and what we see there is that the the, the apostles who are teaching are, are teaching out of the Old Testament. So they're affirming that uh, the Old Testament is truth. They're using reason. They're affirming that. They're pointing to Jesus, always exclusively Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They're also affirming that, that you should value their teaching. And they're valuing each other's teaching as apostles. They're sort of in this New Testament role of being the prophets who wrote much of the Old Testament. So they're, they're affirming the idea of the Word of God, which will make up the New Testament books, the 27 books that make up the New Testament. From here, we leave the Bible and we continue our, our study of the history of truth by looking uh, into the Middle Ages uh, also called the Dark Ages, called Christendom, called the Medieval Era. It's a thousand-year period. It's, it breaks out. I've been doing history podcasts, so I'm not going uh, into the weeds on any of this. You can, you can listen. I'm trying to do a hundred different 
uh, lectures that start uh, as the New Testament ends and goes up to the modern moment, looking at the, the important ideas and people and, and trends. But uh, suffice it to say that as we move, as, the, as, as people move through the Middle Ages, um, what is held up as true in the, is, is the Bible and is Jesus. Um, as time goes on, and I'm speaking here obviously as a Protestant, so I will, I will frustrate uh, Roman Catholics at this moment, but as it goes on, the, my take, Protestants' take, would be that the traditions of the church begin to supersede the authority of the Bible, and so you have some problems uh, emerging at that point. That's going to lead into the Reformation, where Luther is going to want to go back to reason, unless I'm convinced by, he nails his 95 theses on the door, the castle of Wittenberg Church, he gets pulled in front of this council, he's told to recant of all the things he's been saying, and he says, unless I'm convinced by sacred scripture or by reason, I cannot recant. So he's going to do those things, and he's going to try and push down the authority of tradition alone, the magisterium, all the teachings uh, of the Roman Catholic Church at that point. Um, and he is going to, our, our coming out of the Reformation will be this claim uh, that we are saved by grace alone, uh, we're saved by Christ alone, through grace alone, by faith alone, uh, and we're also going to have by Scripture alone to the glory of God alone. Now, this is sola, not sola. Excuse me, this is sola, not solo. So it's not that the Bible is the only source of truth, uh, but it is the primary source of truth. And so we see that coming out of the Reformation. Then we're going to get into the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment is a term that's coined by people that don't like the church. And so they were saying that, you know, that thousand years of Christendom, also called the medieval period, Middle Ages, whatever, they're saying there was darkness there because, because the Bible and then later the church were in charge. So now the lights go back on, and that's going to be a, a return to a zealous pursuit of reason. It's going to lead into the scientific revolution. And uh, I am fast-forwarding here, but all that to say is we come out of the Enlightenment we move into modernity. Modernity is all about science. We're going to fix all our problems. John Lennon's imagine enough, enough time, enough education, all of that. The world is going to be perfect. Heaven is coming to earth. That is sort of what carries us into and through most of the 20th century when everybody sort of says, wow, we've had world wars and we've had genocide and we've had holocaust and we've had nuclear weapons we've had all these we're we actually uh we don't appear to have figured everything out yet and so you have a movement towards post-modernity so post-modernity is saying we're sort of we're moving past modernity which was based on a reason alone assessment of truth and we're moving into something beyond that and it became very intuitive. It's not that there's truth, it's that you got your truth and I've got my truth. And, and there's no capital T truth, there's no big meta-narrative. I remember, I remember two big moments of running into people who were postmodern. One, as a seminary student, I went to a debate at Lake Forest College with Dr. Craig, William Lane Craig. He was going there to talk about truth and he, he ran into a professor 
who is the first sort of postmodern person uh, who argued that God was transrational and that the rule of non-contradiction didn't apply. And so it was just a very frustrating conversation. And then as a college pastor, I remember talking with a student once, and this is a few years later, and saying, look, uh, I, I made claims, I'm presenting the gospel, I'm making the claim that Jesus is the way and the truth and life. And he goes, I am so excited that that's true for you. And I said, I am excited that I know Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm trying to persuade you, you should know him. He goes, well, it's, it, that's just not true for me. And I said, well, I'm not suggesting that it's true for me and not true for you. I'm, I'm suggesting that it's true. And he said, I get that, and I'm glad that works for you. <laughs> and I said, but you're saying it's, it's not true for you? That there's different truths? And he goes, yeah. And I go, well, you can't say that. Like, that's like saying that it's raining and not raining in the same place at the same time. And he says, okay, I'm glad that works for you. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? It, it, it can't rain in the same place. Rain and not rain in the same place at the same time. And he goes, I get that that works for you. That just doesn't work for me. And I go, look, look, this is not, this is not optional here. And, and it was very confusing as a, for a modernist <laughs> to me, you know, to crash into a postmodernist. Well, so postmodernity has been sort of the narrative. There's not truth. There's your truth, my truth. Except... In the last five years, it's changed again. It used to be that, you know, there was no prevailing truth. And everybody was free to believe whatever, whatever they wanted to believe. But in, in the last few years, there's been this idea that, no, there absolutely is truth. And you've got to be on the right side of history. And, and if you don't affirm certain things, you will be canceled. And you're saying, but wait a minute. I thought there wasn't any such thing as truth. And some of the people who say that you'll be canceled will say there isn't any th such thing as truth except, except my truth. So, look, I'm leaving out so much, uh, but that's okay because I'm not advocating that you try and figure out what our culture is saying. I am saying to you, Jesus says, the way forward is to be sanctified by the truth. My word is true. <laughs> we have been given the word of God, you have been given God's divine revelation. And one of the things that Jesus is praying for you is that your life is going to conform to reality, which is according to God's character and the universe that he created. And, and ultimate reality is conveyed in this book. It's crazy out there right now. It's crazy out there right now. If, if you think you understand what's going on, you're either not paying attention or you're deceived. Truth is found through reason and tradition and experience, but it is based on God's divine revelation to you. Sanctify yourself by the truth. God's word is true. Heavenly Father, may we be shaped and molded by your word, by your character, Spirit of God, direct us, guide us, help us to see through the fog and chaos of this moment and uh, to find great comfort in who you are and the, the truths that you have revealed in the pages of Scripture. 
guide and direct us to that end. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.